continuing in our sermon series through the book of Acts. We have picked up the pace because I'm trying to finish this very long sermon series uh, before I go on sabbatical, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that actually after we dismiss for Kingdom Kids. But that means we're covering kind of larger sections of scripture here, but I'm only going to read and focus on a small portion of what's listed on the screen and in your bulletin. So if you're at Acts 27, you're already uh, in a good spot. Just move on over to uh, verse 21, and we're going to read verse 21 through 25 of Acts 27. And Nathan, if we could just turn this one down, I think a little bit. It sounds a little ringy. Am I sounding loud out there? I tend to be loud, as you know, but uh, it's okay to be loud when we read God's word. So Acts 27, starting in verse 21. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not set sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost only the ship will be destroyed last night an angel of God whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said do not be afraid you must stand trial before Caesar and God graciously has given you the lives of all that sail with you today so keep up your courage for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he has told me. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are seated, those participating in Kingdom Kids, today we're going to go this way. So we're going to go down this hallway to get over to our education building over here and so we can avoid some of the rain. And that's, a, that's our ministry for those who are four years old through second grade. So they've aged out of nursery, but uh, we're transitioning them to staying into the service the whole time. And so this is kind of an in-between step to give them a chance to go and learn and worship at their level. I kind of like having them come up front. We can see all of them coming by, all the sweet faces. And so parents, don't forget to come by and get them. Feel free to go the same way. You can go down the hallway, and then when you get to the end of that hallway, hang it left. It'll take you all the way to our education building, and you can pick up your kiddos after service today. Well, in your bulletin, you'll have a little handout, a little one-sheet handout. If you want to just grab that, I'm going to go over this pretty briefly. If you, if you come to church business meeting or read the notes from the business meetings when we mail those out, or if you've watched any of our Thursday night videos, I've been talking about this. But I wanted to take an opportunity to address the entire uh, church and give us a chance to um, just think and pray on this together. So the church has granted me graciously uh, five weeks of sabbatical leave, and I'm adding to that three weeks of my own vacation time to have an eight-week sabbatical over June and July this summer. And along with the staff and our deacon officers, we've been working diligently to develop a plan that makes sure that our church uh, does not skip a beat as we enter into summer and we can continue to minister just as God has called us to without any issues. And so starting at the top, our preaching duties, uh, Josh is going to preach a Sunday. Some of our deacons and some of our other members of the church are going to preach for me some. And then we've got some folks coming from outside the church who are going to preach as well. So the pulpit is already covered. We even have some folks on backup emergency call just in case our guest preacher that Sunday falls ill or emergency comes up. So we've got that covered. Under leadership duties, our church staff meets every week, and one of our deacon officers is going to attend that meeting just to make sure everybody's on the same page. And every Sunday morning, our church staff and those who are helping lead the worship service, from uh, Jan and Donna 
on the piano and uh, organ, those in the sound booth, Nathan. Um, and uh, so we, we gather all these people uh, together, Taylor, and I'm not sure who else was here this morning because I was driving into town from a weekend retreat deal. But those who help on Sunday morning, they come early and we pray together. We, and so they'll continue that, and Josh is going to lead that meeting on Sunday mornings. And hey, if you've got time on Sunday mornings at 845 to come and pray with them, they'd be blessed by that. Pastoral duties, staff, deacon, our deacon officers, and all, our whole deacon body is going to be helping with some of this from hospital and nursing home visits. And then crisis care, you know, we have people that may come. It may be you in need of crisis care. And as pastors, what we, what we would do, what we would always do is to visit with you and listen and pray with you. And then if you need outside resources, the staff have those numbers for outside counseling that they can refer people to. And so that will be covered, no problem. And with funerals, uh, we're, we're hoping we don't have a funeral over the summer. Of course, we never hope for a funeral. But uh, if, if one, if God does call someone home, we do have a plan in place for that from the church staff and deacons, other pastors in the community who can help handle that as well. And then the staff is going to help with administrative duties and handle kind of my, my weekly. If you're, on our e if you're on our email list, you know you get uh, basically two emails a week, one talking about what we're doing during the week, one talking about what's going on in the weekend. By the way, just a little plug for that, if, if you want to get those emails, just put that on your connection card, let us know, and I think there used to be a box. Sometimes the boxes come and go based on what we got going on, but I, there used to be a box where you can check to, be, to get like the emails or newsletter. But if you just put your email address and make a note, if that box isn't there, we'll make sure and add you to the list. But the church staff is going to handle that, so you'll continue to get regular updates from them. We do have monthly meet, business meetings every month. That's why we call them monthly business meetings. That's a little redundant, sorry. But that's when we have them, every month. And so we'll have one June and July, and so our, our, our deacon chairman, Dennis, uh, is going to moderate those. And if he can't be here, one of the other officers w will step in and fulfill that role as well. And then any other administrative issues can be resolved by the church. Uh, so just for personal correspondence, uh, I've gotten a backup cell phone that I'll use, and it's emergency contact for the deacon officers and the church staff. But if you email or text or call um, my regular information, my regular cell phone or email, which is printed on the back of the bulletin. You're going to get a bounce back note saying, I'm on sabbatical right now. If there's, if you need help or assistance with anything, contact the church office, so on and so forth. And that way everybody kind of knows, okay, well, that's, I'm not ignoring you. That's, uh, so you'll get that message so you'll know you're not being ignored and you'll know what to do. You can call the church office or church staff. And then if there are genuine emergencies, then the staff can still get in touch with me. And I won't be out of Kennedy for most of those eight weeks. In fact, uh, probably about half the time we'll be here, about the other half the time we'll be out doing other things together as a family. And then, and then um, the 30th will be my last Sunday before sabbatical. And by that Sunday, I'll have a prayer list for you. And I would just really uh, appreciate it. It would be so wonderful if you would, wouldn't mind just considering that prayer list as an opportunity to be praying for me and my family. For those who haven't been on the discussion, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll dive into the message for today. But the aim of this sabbatical is, is a spiritual renewal for me to have a chance to reconnect with the Lord. I, I've explained this before with, with uh, some of our, our deacons. You know, like if you're a mechanic, sometimes your car is the last one to get attention, and so it doesn't run well. If you're, if you're a carpenter, sometimes your house is the last one to get attention, so it doesn't look as nice as the others you work on. You know, sometimes when that's your vocation and that's what you do— it can take up so much time and energy that you don't put that same time and energy into that same area 
of emphasis in your own life. And it's, it's how it is for ministers sometimes. We just fill up our lives with ministering to others, and that's what God's called us to, and there's joy in that. But it's surprisingly easy to get to a place where you realize all your ministry is going out and you're never filling up. And that's not a good place to be. And I've sensed that, and I really want to uh, make sure I'm paying attention to that. And so this is a part of it. And, and I have felt for some time just kind of like my, my energy and joy and zeal for ministry has begun to fade. And, and I've just sensed from the Lord that that's why that I need to sharpen my relationship with him so that I can return to that, to that full zeal and energy and excitement about ministry. And so that's going to be on that prayer list, but that is the emphasis and purpose for this sabbatical. You could even begin to pray now and ask God to help me with that, and I would be very grateful. And uh, I'm not one to uh, ask for prayer much, and I think that's probably pride. That's not a good thing. Um, but I am uh, challenged by Paul, who we're reading about today, who would frequently ask for prayer from the churches that supported him. And I think, well, if Paul's asking for prayer... Certainly, it's okay for me to ask for prayer, just as all of you ask for prayer. And we solicit your prayers, right? We ask you, how can we be praying for you? Put that on your prayer card or let us know in some way. Um, at the end of the service every Sunday, we say, if you need prayer, come forward. Let us pray for you, you know. So those are some things you can be praying about. We would be very grateful. I would be very grateful. And so would our family. So I just want to pause and pray now, speaking of prayer. Pray now and uh, transition us into what we have before us in Acts 27 as we learn more about Paul's uh, adventures this time on the seas. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and how it speaks to us truth. Father, you speak to us truth through imperatives, parables, songs, proverbs. And here you speak truth to us through narrative, through story. Not something that's made up, but something that happened. How you were at work in the church after your son Jesus left this earth to be by your side. And so God, I pray that we would read it not just as an incredible story about your work in the world. But that you should speak to us about the kind of work you want to do in us. In us as sons and daughters of yours and in us as your bride, the church us individually, us collectively, that we would think and pray and study this portion of Scripture you have before us today. Not with just a desire to understand, but, Father, with a willingness to obey. That's what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in brief, to catch you up, the book of Acts is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, what they did after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Ascension meaning he went to be with the Father in heaven as we just uh, talked to the Lord about in prayer. I think an act, a more accurate title of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work. It's supernatural work of God through the New Testament church. Why? To fulfill Jesus' command to the disciples to take the news that there is reconciliation with God, there is forgiveness of sin, there is hope for eternity, and I have provided it. And Jesus says, take this good news about me and go and tell the world. And the disciples kind of camped out in Jerusalem for a little while. 
and it was kind of comfortable there. And then God sent persecution, and, and some of those, a lot of those disciples, they spread. They, went, they started to go out into the world to fulfill what God had called them to do, but it did take some persecution to get them out there. Not only that, but God called a particular zealous uh, man of God, uh, a Pharisee who knew the word of God, someone who was so zealous for God's law that he made sure everybody was following it to the letter. And those he thought were off in any way, particularly those Christians who had a different understanding of the Old Testament because of their walk with Jesus, he persecuted them. And his Hebrew name was Saul. And we've read about his conversion several times. He became a Christian as he is going about to persecute Christians. And at his conversion, God says, you're going to take this good news not only to your people, the Jewish people, you're going to take this good news to the Gentiles. And Gentiles is just another way of saying anybody who's not Jewish. That's what I'm calling you to do. Paul's conversion and call to ministry happened in a moment, in a flash, and he was sent out. And as he was sent out, he made multiple missionary journeys, and we're on that last leg of his missionary work. And Paul has gone back to Jerusalem to testify about Jesus. He's been arrested, unfairly accused, and he says, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. I have particular rights. And you can't just punish me without evidence. And the Jewish people who were against Christianity were putting a lot of pressure on the Roman government. And Paul says, you know what? I appeal to Caesar. What that meant was if you're a Roman citizen, anyone could say, I appeal to Caesar. I want, it's kind of like saying, I want my case heard before the Supreme Court. Now, of course, if you know anything about it, and I know very little, to be honest, but the Supreme Court does not accept every case. So the Roman, you know, the Roman government didn't have to grant every appeal. But those in Caesarea and Jerusalem, these places where Paul was being transferred back and forth, they saw this as an opportunity to just get Paul off his hands. They didn't want an uprising. They didn't want problems. Whenever there's problems in society, they were going to get the blame for it, and they could be cast out of their position. And so they saw this appeal to Caesar as a way to just get rid of Paul. And they said, all right, you, will want, you appealed to Caesar? They actually didn't think that Paul had done anything worthy of punishment. Certainly not capital punishment, but they sent him on anyways. And so Paul gets on a boat, and he is being sent with uh, a centurion and Roman soldiers, and they're going to make sure he gets, along with other prisoners, to Rome. And so they are traveling to Rome. And as they're traveling to Rome, it's late in the year, and late in the year is when you get these storms arrive. I'm kind of telling you some of the stuff we skipped over in early part of 27. And the storms arise, and Paul says, look, we need to just camp out here at this one port. We don't need to keep going. It's going to get bad. And shockingly, the centurion listened to him and took it up the chain to the guys who own the boat and own the cargo. And they said, no, we're going to keep going. And then they run into rough seas. And the Word of God tells us that they get to a point where they feel as if all hope had been lost. In verse 21, we read that they had gone a long time without food. And then Paul stands up and talks to them about deliverance. He doesn't use the word deliverance specifically, but that is what he's talking about. God is going to 
deliver them. God is going to keep them alive because God has a plan to get the good news of Jesus before Caesar in Rome. As I read this passage, I can't help but think about deliverance, you know? And I think that's something that resonates certainly with me, and I think it probably would resonate with you, that we all come to places and points in our life where we need deliverance. We see the trouble we're in, but we don't see a way out. And we need someone to rescue, to deliver. We may need deliverance from financial struggles. We may need deliverance from a dead-end job. We may need deliverance from the schoolwork that is mounting and we're behind and tests are coming and all of that stuff. We may need deliverance from troubles in our most important relationships with our spouse or with our kids. There's no end to the ways in which we need deliverance. And at some point or another, maybe grief, loss, an uncertain future, medical issues. More than once in life, we are going to come to a point where we realize we need deliverance from a storm that we find ourselves in. Now, what I think is interesting about this passage is that it's what Paul does before he needs deliverance that prepares him for the moment of deliverance. So here's a bit of the good news, and there's good news after the good news, so hang in. But if you're not going through a storm in life right now, this is actually the perfect time to prepare for one. If you don't need deliverance at this moment from anything, then I'm so glad you're here to hear what God has to say, because you will find yourself in a place, and if you prepare now, you'll be ready then. And I think that's what we find out with Paul. There's some things going on in Paul's life that had prepared him for this moment when he found himself in need of deliverance. Picking up in verse 23, Paul says, Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong. Now I underline that in my Bible. You might want to do the same, up to you. But to whom I belong. Paul did not come to the realization that he belonged to God in the midst of the storm. He knew that going in. And that's incredibly important. That's actually very helpful to know that God is has an ownership in our lives. That he thinks that we are valuable enough to possess. If you just think about what's your most valuable possession, what do you own that you would hate to lose? Something with sentimental value, maybe. Something that you can't even put a price tag on. And that ownership of that thing is so incredibly important to you. You value it. You keep it safe. Maybe you even have some insurance for it, right? But you own that. And it's important to you. What Paul says is, is God is, God, I am his possession. I am his. He has purchased me. So as he's telling about this vision from the angel, he says, the Lord to whom 
I belong. He possesses me. I am important to him. Far more important than any earthly thing you and I can own, however valuable we feel it is, far more important are you to God. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that God had purchased him. Now, oftentimes, the higher the price, the more valuable the object. Not all the time, but often, right? What did God do to purchase Paul? God gave his only son, Jesus. That's how much Paul, the other disciples, the other Christians in the church, and every Christian since, and every person who's ever walked the earth, including you and me, that's how much God loves us. That's how much he values us. That in order to purchase us, that he might possess us, he would give his son for us. You can say amen. That's okay. Y'all seem a little sleepy already, so it's okay. Maybe you need to wake up a little bit. God purchased us through the blood of Jesus. That is how valuable you are to him. Listen, you may not think you're valuable. You may have voices in your ear that say you're not valuable. What's going to happen when you go through a storm and you're in need of deliverance? You will give up hope so quick. But what if you know, no, 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 no. If I'll insure my car and I'll insure my house, if I think those things are so valuable, I know I am even more valuable to God. So the God to whom I belong will see to my deliverance. I know it. I'm sure of it because I am his. And I'm not just a trinket in the junk drawer. I'm so valuable to him that he would send his son to give his life in order to purchase me. How could I ever think that this storm that I am in would end in any other way than God's deliverance? Now, I'm not telling you how God will deliver. That's up to him. I just know he will. And part of why Paul had that confidence that he would and he did have confidence. He had an incredible confidence. He says in the middle of verse 25, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he said. And part of that's because he knew that this is a God to whom I belong. The second thing, the second thing we learn from Paul as we go through our own challenges, as we go through our own storm, is we're in need of our own deliverance. And, and if you're in the middle of it, this is good news. And if you're not in the middle of it, this is good news because it can prepare you for it. The second thing Paul experienced what he knew, what he was going through, that prepared him for this moment, is that Paul knew he was actively serving the Lord, living in obedience to God's call in his life. That is why he's in the boat. That is why he is a prisoner. That's why he's going to Rome, is because he has been obedient to what the Lord had said. Earlier in Acts 23.11, we read the following night, the Lord stood near Paul. This time, not an angel of the Lord, but the Lord himself stood near Paul and said to him, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. The very reason he was going to Rome is because he went to Jerusalem. And the very reason he went to Jerusalem is because God said, Go to Jerusalem. He was walking in obedience to God. Therefore, he could have confidence that even though there was this storm that threatened all of their lives, all 246, 276 people on board, all of their lives, he had confidence that God would 
rescue. God would deliver. He had the confidence of knowing that he was walking in the will of God. I think that's an incredibly important thing. Before you ever get in a storm, be in the habit of walking in obedience with God. So that when you are in the storm, you will have the confidence that you are right in the center of God's will. And you may have heard it said before, but it's worth saying again, there is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. And Paul was living proof of that. He's a prisoner. He's shackled. He knows that there's a chance his life will come to an end in Rome. There's a storm about him that is threatening the lives of everyone. And yet he had the confidence because he was walking in the will of God, doing exactly what God had called him to do, that God would deliver. The third thing we can learn from Paul is that Is this encouraging? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But it's true. That neither the ownership of God nor his obedience kept him from the storm. And sometimes, Christians, we can think that. We can feel that. God, I've done everything you've said. I'm your child. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I've obeyed you. I've done what you've asked me to do. Come to church. I tithe. I serve. Why am I going through this storm? There is a moment in which we need deliverance and it has not yet come. And we may not know exactly how God's going to work it out. And it's that moment that demands faith. If we want a full-time deliverance, we're not going to get there with part-time faith. You can say amen to that too. Because that's a great line, y'all. I know it's a great line because I took it from Tony Evans. And if you listen to Tony Evans, he's a great preacher. And I said, that's pretty good. I'm going to tell my church that. Did you, hear what it, did you hear what he said? I'm telling you. You want full-time deliverance. You're not going to get there with part-time faith. There comes a moment when you need deliverance and it hasn't yet come and you don't see how it's going to come. In that space, in that moment where there is uncertainty, that is the place of faith. And Paul had it. And he would say to the men, so keep up your courage, verse 25, for I have faith in God. Now let's be honest. If we need deliverance, there's a pretty good chance we know exactly how we want it to happen. Don't have faith in that. God is creative. He delivers in ways you do not see coming, that you would never expect. And if you're coming up with a plan, you never would have came up with that. Let me tell you something. That's what's so confusing about Jesus. Yeah, it, it, the suffering servant of Isaiah, if you know anything about that, hinted at this idea that a, that a king would come who would die and rise. But it was perplexing to the world. Even the disciples who walked with Jesus, even after Jesus said, look, I'm going to die. But don't worry. Even to them, it didn't make sense. Listen, if you have the idea in which you expect God to deliver you, you probably should also be expected to be surprised. Because that is often not how God works. God's ways are above our ways. He does things that make no sense to us. He, he, there, 
My four-year-old cannot understand what I tell him to do and not do as a parent. And I don't expect him to. I just want him to obey. I don't expect him to articulate why it is I have told him that he has to take baths, go to bed, eat vegetables. I, I, I don't need him to understand all the ins and outs, and he can't possibly understand all the ins and outs. I just want him to obey. I want him to obey because he trusts me that, that I do love him and I'm doing the best thing for him. If that's the case with my four-year-old, that is most certainly even more the case between God and us. How much further, how much bigger the gap, how much wiser, how much more knowledge does God have than we have? Because if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, well, the way out of this, just calm the storm, right? That's the easiest solution. Jesus had done it before. You remember the story of the, the disciples going across, the, uh, going across uh, the sea, and they're going from one side to the other, and, and a storm comes, and Jesus is sleeping. And they say, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up, and he steals the storm. You remember that? Certainly Paul had heard that story. He wasn't there personally, but certainly he had heard that story. Like if there, was, if there was something that makes sense to us, maybe to Paul it would be just calm the storm. If it's not calm the storm, maybe it's just get this boat to a dock where we can be safe and, and sound and just hang out. But what Paul says is, this is not my idea, guys. The angel of God, to whom I belong, to whom I serve, he said, listen, it's going to be okay. Nevertheless, verse 26, we must run aground. I didn't read that verse. It wasn't a great way to end the scripture reading. We must run aground. That's not a great way to end the scripture reading. But that is what Paul says. So you may have a way worked out in your mind, this is the deliverance I want. But it may not be the deliverance you need. God may have another deliverance for you that is far better that you can never dream up. He may want to do something so miraculous that you would say, I never could have came up with that. Only God could do that. And look, he has done it. What? That takes trust. That takes trust. And we learn from Paul that a lifetime of ministry unto God, serving him, trusting him, has prepared him for the moment where he, need, he needed deliverance. And so he trusted this word from God. So are you his? Do you belong to him? That's a moment of trust. That's a moment where you have to forfeit your own, your own throne. You have to get off the throne of your own life. you got to quit being in charge of your own life. you got to say, you know what, God? I'm putting you in charge. I'm yours. I'm not my own anymore. I am yours. Like Paul, if we do that before the storm, we're better prepared for being in the middle of one. Does that describe you? Or maybe you've already done that, but there are areas of your life where you have, you're not walking in obedience. Just as Paul heard the call from God to go to Jerusalem, then go to Rome, he's following God's will. Are you following God's will? If not, 
There's a word for that. It's called repentance. It just means to turn. You're heading in this direction away from God's will. You turn and you walk towards God's will. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a God who has his arms open for you. A God who says, I have already forgiven you. Now let's get to work. Or maybe you have become God's possession. Maybe you're walking in obedience. And maybe because of that, you have been surprised by the storm you're going through. Don't be surprised. God's servants throughout history, throughout Scripture, have been challenged even as they were God's children, even as they were obedient. God wanted to show them something that only a storm could reveal. I think there's another reason for this. See, other people are looking in on your lies. They see how you, if you're a Christian, and I don't assume everyone here is, but if you are God's possession, they see how you go through that storm. They see how you are in need of deliverance and what you do in that moment. They see whether you trust God or you don't. They see whether you whine or complain or you walk in faith. One of the incredible parts of this story is that when God delivers Paul, he delivers everybody. There's something about this episode going on into 28 and through verse 10, where over and again, Paul's faith and Paul's deliverance actually turns out for the benefit of others. What if there are others watching, your children, your family, your classmates, your coworkers? What if they are watching how you are walking through a storm and how you are dealing with the need for your own deliverance? And what if the way in which you handle that may turn out for their deliverance? Have you ever been encouraged by someone else's faith? I know I have. Have you ever been challenged by someone else's obedience? I know I have. What if someone is watching you now? 276 on board, they were all saved. The soldier said, let's, let's kill all of these prisoners because we don't want to get in trouble with Rome. And you know what they said? No, we're not killing Paul, so we're not killing any of them. We're, we're going to save them all. When they finally got to the beach and God did deliver them, Paul's picking up sticks. He puts them in the fire, and guess what? He gets stung. He gets uh, bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake. And everybody looks around and says, this dude did something bad. He's going to drop dead. Just watch. And he never did. In fact, he went to the guy who was in charge of the island, healed a family member, like just over and over again, God is using Paul in the middle of deliverance and even as he's stuck on this island to bring other people nearer to himself. What if God's wanting to do that in your life? What if that's why he's not answering your prayers for an easy deliverance? Because I, I will tell you, deliverance doesn't often look like God shooing away the storm doesn't often look like you getting to harbor safely in one piece. Sometimes it looks like shipwreck. Because in that moment, your faith in God says something about God, and other people hear it. Maybe that's why God has you where he has you. It's because he wants, to, he wants your 
your faith to speak truth in the lives of the people around you. What an incredible, incredible testimony. Paul would say to the church in Rome before he ever got there, he wrote him a letter, and we call it Romans. Maybe one of the most famous verses in Romans. Paul tells them what he is living out in Acts 27 and 28. He says to them, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. May we claim that truth for us as well. Let's pray together.